welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it, it, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. There's a, there's a theme here in Jonah that we're going to hit on of repentance. It comes in chapter 3. And uh, because of that, I have some books for you guys. So we have uh, seven copies of this book. And it's called The Grace of Repentance by Sinclair Ferguson. Super great book about repentance and how it's a grace, how it's a gift of God, and what it looks like. We've got seven copies here. Please grab one. We'd love for you to have it. It'd be a great way to kind of equip you and encourage you in what repentance is and just the grace of God in it. You'll love it. Uh, let's pray. Father, we... Uh, we come before your word as those who need it desperately. We need it as food. Uh, we need the encouragement. Um, some of us need the, the rebuke of it. In all ways, it's grace to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, as we see Jonah and we see his heart and we see your heart for the lost. We just pray, Lord, that we would be more in line with your heart, that we would repent of Jonah-like hearts and, and grab hold of your heart and... Uh, Seek to have your son Jesus live through us in this way. Um, we pray, Lord, that we would just have the compassion you have. Um, we pray for our missionaries. We pray for Lorian, where she's at. And we just pray, Lord, even now as she's working with a group to, to translate the scriptures 
into a, a language in which they don't have the full Bible. We just pray, Lord, that you'd bless her. We thank you for her heart, that, you're, that you've shared your heart for the lost with her. We just pray that you'd greatly comfort her and encourage her. Um, we pray for Holly and her team in Cambodia as they're working with rescuing girls out of sex trafficking and, and the evangelism and the discipleship that they do there. And uh, we just pray that you'd greatly bless their work. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bless the, the team in Albania that we're starting to get involved with, Lord. We pray that you'd bless them. And, and Lord, give us a heart for the nations. Give us a heart to, to go or to send. And give us a heart for our neighbors, Lord, the, the lost that are right near us. And uh, Lord, also give us a heart for each other, uh, th- those in our own homes, even those that are the believers in our homes. We just pray that there would be just an environment of grace around us because you've transformed our hearts. And Lord, we know that this is something only you can do. Um, if you don't do it, we're going to end up like Jonah chapter 4. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series in the Old Testament. We've been taking a different Old Testament book each week and looking at what it says about the big story God has us in. So we looked at Job and we saw what it said about suffering, uh, Isaiah, what it said about courage, Exodus, what it said about freedom, and then last week, uh, what it said about meaning in Ecclesiastes, which you guys were all came away very fired up after that. But this week, we're going to look at the book of Jonah, and we're going to see what it has to say about grace. And there's a lot of grace in here. Grace, just as a definition, grace is God's undeserved favor. So God gives us favor. He gives us a blessing in Christ that we have no right or claim to, okay? If God were not to give grace to anyone, he'd be completely just in doing that. It's an unmerited favor, completely undeserved. And we see a lot of it in this book. We'll see it in the life of the sailors. God gives them grace. He gives the Ninevites grace, and of course, he gives Jonah grace. And this story of grace starts with Jonah getting a call from God. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then you see in verse 3, But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Just to give you a, a sense of what's going on here, the place that Jonah's supposed to go, Nineveh, was 500 miles to the northeast of Israel. So he should have gone 500 miles northeast. Where he's headed, though, Tarshish is in modern-day Spain, and that was 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. So Jonah's not messing around here. He's not just, like, not going to leave his house. He's going to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, or at least he planned to. Question here is, Why? Why would Jonah run? And uh, contrary to Veggie Tales, <laughs> Jonah's not afraid here. And we know that from chapter 4. Jonah actually says that he refuses to go because he hates the Ninevites and he does not want God to save them. Kind of dark story, right? Not much of a children's story there. Be like Jonah, you know? I'm like, no, don't do that. And he has good reasons for hating the Ninevites, actually. It was the capital of Assyria. They're super notorious for their cruelty. They had a real taste for torture. Um, They're just like epically bad people. And so this but Jonah is quickly followed with, in verse 4, but the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I love that the Lord doesn't say to Jonah, it's like, hey, Jonah, you know, like, you do you, man you don't feel like it, that's cool. You know, it was like, hey, Amos, are you busy? Maybe you could go for Jonah. He's not feeling it right now. He wants to take a little break. He's not really sure he's like fully got his heart in the mission. God doesn't do that, right? 
Instead, God sends this storm, and this storm is God's grace. This is God's disciplining grace to bring Jonah back. And the reason he does it is because God's love is covenantal love. Covenantal in the sense that when God attaches his affections to a sinner, he doesn't let go. And if he needs to, he'll send a storm. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to their gods. And they hurled the cargo in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. And the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's so cool because Jonah wakes up with the captain saying basically the same thing God said to him in verse 2. Arise, right? Arise, call out. It was like Jonah was having some sort of nightmare, right? He has to know this is the Lord. Uh, the sailors start grilling him to find out, like, maybe if he's the reason why this storm is happening. They know this storm is supernatural. Jonah basically refuses to cooperate and tells him to throw him overboard. And there's a pow- powerful contrast here, guys, between Jonah and the sailors. While Jonah will do basically nothing to save the sailors, they'll do whatever they can to save him. Jonah shows total disregard for their well-being. He's asleep while they're in danger. He doesn't pray, even though he's told to. It's like pulling teeth to get any information out of him. They have to cast lots to find out it's him. He's not just like, hey, guys, the mystery's solved. It's me. He doesn't do that, right? And keep in mind, these people are about to die. (laughs) Time is of the essence. And it's like pulling teeth to get information from him. I would just say, how about us? You know, though this is a historical account of something that actually happened, it's written to search the hearts of God's people. Because it turns out that Jonah's heart for the lost, which was very cold, mirrored God's people's heart during that time for the lost. This is meant to be a rebuke. You're meant to see yourself in Jonah. And so I just ask, what about us? Are we indifferent to the well-being of our unbelieving neighbors? It's a powerful thing. You think about the area we live in. It's very common. You drive up to your house. You click that garage door opener. As soon as you know that it has range, you get your car in there, and then you close that thing. Because who knows? There might be a neighbor walking by or something, and you'd have to talk to him. You know? Um, there's that kind of thing. Are we indifferent to the well-being of our unbelieving neighbors? I was kind of convicted about this recently. Like, we think about our ministries as a church. Are we ministering to our unbelieving neighbors as well, as a church, as individuals, and as a body? It's something, if anybody of you guys want to start something like that, please let us know. We'd be totally happy to deputize you in that. But even as individuals, do I have a heart for my neighbor right next door? Do you know the names of your neighbors, right? Maybe two doors down either direction. Do you know their names? Do you care about them? Jonah doesn't care about them. And don't take his thing of like, throw me overboard as some sort of generous act of self-sacrifice. That's not what that is. Because Jonah knows exactly what they should do to him to make the sea calm. What is it? Turn the ship around right? You turn the ship around, and the sea goes calm, and you get the best wind you've ever seen, right? That's exactly what would happen. So this is not an act of self-sacrifice. This is Jonah would rather die than obey God's commands, and he's not all that bothered if they die with him. It's dark. It's really dark. And, And yet these pagan sailors, look what they do. They'll do anything to save him. He says, throw me overboard. And what does it say in verse 13? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They're not like, oh, problem solved, <laughs> you know. They're like, we'll row, we'll try. And when they see that it won't work, they throw them over. Jonah's callous disregard for the sailors is met with their courageous compassion. And I just have a question for you this morning. Have you ever known, or do you know, non-Christians 
that are actually more loving and more caring and more sacrificial than you are. Do you know any? I know them. I know a bunch of them. It might be that you need to meet some more or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I know them. You know them too, right? People in your life, and you're like, man, you, you meet somebody, and you're like, this person is the nicest person ever, and you, I, I bet they're a believer. And they're not. And you're like, what's going on here? There's two things going on there. One is that salvation is by grace, not by works. And so sometimes God's people behave very badly. Okay? Jonah's an example of believers behaving very badly. But also, God gives common grace even to non-Christians. Have you guys heard of t- common grace? Common grace is the idea that God blesses people that don't even know him. He blesses non-Christians um, physically, um, intellectually, um, and even morally. Common grace can be the reason why so many non-Christians are far better than you'd expect. I mean, you read Ephesians 2, and you see by nature children of wrath and all this dark stuff, and then you're like, your neighbor's like this most amazing person. What is that? That's God's common grace. That's God's grace in their life. Not saving grace, but it's common grace. But what's really cool about these sailors is God not only gives them common grace in the way that they love Jonah, he actually ends up giving them saving grace too. Watch what happens when Jonah's thrown overboard. He's thrown overboard, and I imagine that like as soon as Jonah's body disappears into the water, it's the wind, the ocean, everything calm, supernaturally calm, eerie calm, eerie quiet. And the sailors respond this way, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Guys, this is not foxhole conversion. A foxhole conversion is when, you know, there's some great danger, and somebody comes to the Lord, they look like they're coming to the Lord, and as soon as the danger passes, they just go back to their sin. We've all seen that. This is the opposite. The danger is past, and yet these, these men are sacrificing to the Lord. They fear him, and they vow to follow him. And there's a bit of irony here, because you've got Jonah. He wants nothing to do with converting pagans, right? And then in his disobedience, he converts a boatload of them. Like a literal boatload, right? It's just amazing, right? God will save. God will save. Salvation is of the Lord. And then verse 17, Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now at this point, I think I know what you want from me. And you probably want me to tell you what species of fish or whale this is. And I'm not going to do that. I know it's super disappointing. I'm a veterinarian. It'd be like, probably the most qualified preacher to do this, right? Um, but I'm not going to do it because the word in here is dag. It just means sea creature. There's no point in this. So I'm not going to tell you like that sperm whales, that their throat's actually big enough to swallow humans. And I'm not going to tell you they can go online and find these stories of people that temporarily live in sea creatures and don't die. I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to do that, guys, because a person existing inside of a sea creature for three days is by definition a miracle, and what we don't tend to do with miracles is we don't try to um, explain them. That's the, the opposite of what you do with a miracle. It is a miracle. And you know what? The most interesting thing is not what's going on inside of the fish, but what's going on inside of Jonah, right? That's where the action is. That's what you see in chapter 2. Take a look at chapter 2. Because Spurgeon, he has this great line about this passage. He says that, he says that Jonah was learning great theology in a most unusual college. That's what he says is going on here. I just love that. He was learning great theology in a most unusual college. And I I think that all of us can say that we have done that before, that the Lord has taught us great theology in the most unusual colleges. Look at Jonah finally prays. Jonah refused to pray this whole time. The sailor said, please pray for us. And he was like, nope. But he'll pray for himself. 
Jonah 2.1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I called, and then you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down into the land whose bars are closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought my life out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and, I pr- and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Let me ask you this. What does that passage sound like? What other part of Scripture does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds just like uh, Psalm 23. Exactly. It sounds just like the Psalms of David, you know? And, And he lived about 200 years after David, so he had the Psalms. Not only did he have the Psalms, he had the Psalms in his heart so that when he faced death and he thought he was dying under the wrath of God here, his, the Psalms are what poured out of his heart and poured out of his heart, his, his mouth. And, and I would just ask you, do you have the Psalms in your heart like that? That when you would come to a time of difficulty that you would have them just pour out. It's a beautiful thing. So Jonah comes to realize this, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And this is a time of repentance for Jonah, but it's not a complete time of repentance. And spoiler alert, it gets dark in chapter 4. You know, he's not fully repentant, but he's learning some lessons. But what's interesting about what he says in verse 8 is he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he's right about that, that, that our idols will keep us from receiving the grace of God, to fully enjoy the grace of God, right? Even as believers who have the saving grace of God, we don't enjoy the grace of God like we should because of our idols. But let me ask you this. Whose idols is Jonah talking about? It's not clear. He doesn't say they're his idols, okay? And the Ninevites' idols are a lot more obvious. Everybody's idols are more obvious than our own, right? You know, I think there's a lot of work here to happen. Jonah's self-righteousness that we're going to see as the story develops makes it very hard for him to receive God's grace and to give it to others. That's what's going on in his heart. And I just say, how about you? Do you find it, are you finding it right now impossible to forgive and extend grace to others? A lot of Christians are very unforgiving, ungracious people, okay? That's what this passage tells us. That's, I mean, this is a prophet, one of God's prophets, you know, we're seeing into his heart. A lot of Christians can be very unforgiving and, and not extend grace to other people. And it's a real scandal, right, as people have received God's grace that we'd be like this. Some Christians are like Jonah. They would rather die than give grace to their spouse, to their kids, to their parents, to people around them. You know, Jonah's like, I'd rather die than do that. You know, is that your heart right now? There are a lot of Christian marriages and homes that are, that are as graceless as Jonah's heart. They've got God's law. You know, this is how Christians live, and we're going to make sure we do that. But they don't have any grace. And that's what we see in Jonah's life. Jonah's ready to obey God's commands. We see that at the end. He's like, I'm going to pay my vows. I'm going to do the thing I need to do. But as we see in chapter 4, his self-righteousness is alive and well. And one of the things this teaches us is that understanding God's grace is a long journey. Have you guys had trouble 
like learning God's grace, really understanding God's grace, like always going back to legalism, always going back to, you know, self-righteousness. God's grace is something that's so supernatural and so different than anything we ever experience that it's a process. And that's what we're seeing in Jonah's life. A little bit's been done, a lot more needs to happen. We have another act of God's grace, though, in verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Jonah 3.1 says this, Then the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. I love how God repeats the commission. It's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's like, okay, that didn't go well, Jonah. Let's do this again. Is that the way God is with us? He's like, nope, that's not actually what I asked for. That was the opposite. Now let's, you know, I see you're wanting to change. Let's do it again. And God doesn't tire of that. He doesn't tire of giving us the commission again. Um, So Jonah has like this fresh start, right? Maybe fresh start isn't the right word to use for a guy that's just been vomited by a fish on the beach. It's not very fresh at this point. And that gets to the idea too, is there's a lot of consequences here, okay? There's consequences to, to what's happened. Uh, let me see the, the, the map here. I want to show you what Jonah's doing. So most people think like, okay, so he started off here. He gets in, oh, look, a little boat. Oh, a storm. And he was going here, okay? And he's supposed to go here. What most people think is that like Jonah gets, you know, swallowed by this sea creature and then he just like gets taken up a river somewhere to Nineveh and thrown up up there. That's not possible. There is a river here. It's the Tigris. But the Tigris, it empties into the Persian Gulf, and so if you were to do the trip now, there's the Suez Canal. You could go this way, down into the Red Sea, and then the Arabian Sea, and then the Persian Gulf and come up. That'd be a long trip. But there's, there was no Suez Canal. If he was going to take the fish here, he would have to go this way. So out of the Mediterranean, into the Atlantic, down below the tip of Africa, all the way back up to here. Okay, that did not happen in three days. Okay, This is a supernatural event, but I don't think that's what happened. So what happened was he goes here, he's brought back here, and he's vomited where he was supposed to leave from. So that's inconvenient, right? So here's Jonah. He's poor because it would cost a lot of money to take that trip in a boat. He's poor, he's stinkier, and he's got a really long walk ahead of him. He's got some consequences to deal with, but the important thing is he has the Lord, right? And the Lord is not going to let him go, you know? The Lord is going to be with him. Um, verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he arrives in Nineveh for this mission that is extremely unlikely to work, okay? This is like major capital, ancient city. These are Assyrians. These people don't play. They're not going to be really, like, entertained by this, okay? This is like a Jew calling out Nazi Berlin. Hey, go in there and just tell them that God's going to overthrow them. Hey, yeah, that'll work great. Picture it. This is a massive city, and we know this from archaeology. It's a gigantic city, ancient capital. He waits till morning till these huge gates open up. He goes through the, the city walls, which were 100 feet high, and they say you could have, like, three chariots along the side, and they could all, like, be on top of the wall. These guys were into walls. And there was amazing architecture, and there's, you know, people haggling in the marketplace and soldiers marching around the streets, and Jonah walks in, and he's like, all right, okay, I guess this is time, you know? And he, you know, clears his throat, and he, like, stretches, you know? And then he's like, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And he's like, I wonder if that was loud enough. And then he does it again. This is crazy, right? This is a bad idea. And what happens is beyond amazing. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. And the people of Nineveh believed God. (laughs) That's crazy. They don't ignore him. They don't heckle him. They don't attack him. This is actually the biggest miracle in the book. Okay? Fish, that's easier. This is crazy. Okay? So there's this Jewish dude, probably doesn't smell great, and he's just calling out judgment. And the people believe God. They melt in fear. They go silent. They start listening. They're shocked. They start crying. Women start clutching their babies. You know, they begin to cry out, what must we do to be saved? This is crazy. This is a miracle. This is by far the greatest mass conversion in all of history. And it's not a revival of like backslidden Israelites. This is, these are the most notorious, some of the most notorious people in history. Hearing the name of the Lord for the first time and being like, yeah, that sounds true. It's amazing. And it's a beautiful picture of repentance, guys. Part of the reason I got the books for you guys is a beautiful picture of repentance. Repentance, guys, is God's gift of a changed heart and a changed life. And it is a gift. I know when we talk about repentance and faith, you might think like like faith is the friendly side and and repentance is kind of like the not-so-friendly side of conversion. Repentance is a grace. It's a gift. If you've got it, you should thank God for it. This, this gift of repentance is, is seen in these people just believing. It's, it's, it's the greatest miracle in the book. Real repentance is always a miracle. It's always a gift of God. And I just say to you, if you have it, if you have repentance, if you've turned from your sin to trust in Jesus and, and God has given you that in your heart, you should thank him as much as if you grew back a limb. You should thank him as much as if you grew back a limb or you had your eyes replaced or something. I mean, it's that level of miracle. It's astonishing. Repentance is a radical change of heart and life. And we see that in the king in verses 6 through 9. This king, the Assyrian king, right? Not known for his coziness. This guy, he says in verse 6, he gets off his throne. Comes off his throne. He's like, okay, you know, I used to be the king. Obviously, I'm not the king anymore, right? It's this amazing posture towards God. He gets off the throne, takes off his royal robes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he fasts. It's a total change of heart towards the Lord. It's like, whatever the Lord wants to do, that's what I'm going to do now. He's the king, I'm not the king. And it leads to a change of life. In verse 8, it says, Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. And there's this amazing humility and repentance, too. Um, it doesn't assume anything. Look at verse 9. Who knows? The king says, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. It seems that maybe Jonah didn't give him much of the good news. Wasn't in the mood. And they're like, who knows? Maybe God will relent and return. There's no like assumption that God's going to give grace here, right? It's amazing, guys. It's just an amazing heart change. It's, it's what every one of us need. Believers and unbelievers all need repentance. Repentance and faith, they're two sides of the same coin, right? So if Jesus is here and he's calling us to life and our sin is here, you know, we tend to kind of go, oh, this is looking good. Repentance is to turn from your sin and come towards Christ. You can't have one without the other, in other words. If Jesus is here and your sin's here, you can't go, well, I got faith, but I'm also really liking this. It's like, no, you're going the wrong direction. Repentance is, it's two sides of the same coin. It's turning away from your sin to turn to Christ. And repentance, guys, is always blessed beyond imagination. This guy's like, 
Who knows? Maybe God will relent. And look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Isn't that incredible? This is incredible, right? I mean, it's just like that. Like, after all that evil they did, what? It's like you just flip a switch and it's gone? Yeah, just like that. That's the grace of God. Like, if you turn to Christ... He will turn his wrath away from you, and he will bless you, and he will adopt you. And it's just like that. I mean, it is exceedingly quick. So how does Jonah respond? Our buddy Jonah, the man of God, the most holy guy there. Let's see what he does in in Jonah chapter 4. How does he respond to the greatest conversion, mass conversion in history? It says in verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Okay, I think that this is usually left out of, like, the children's storybooks. It shouldn't be, because it's a great moment of learning. But I think most of us, when we think of the book of Jonah, we think of it as in three chapters. Or maybe at the end of the third chapter, it's like, and then he went home rejoicing, you know, or something like that. But it gets, this is really the meat of the book right here. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's like, I just knew you were like this. Why do you always do this? You know, a Napoleon thing. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. The guy's so dramatic. For it is better for me to die than to live. And I love what the Lord says to him. He goes, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went outside the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under the shade so he should see what would happen with the city. So the dude's not well, okay? Uh, He's not well. After calling out against the Ninevites, he finds a place outside the city, I think to watch it get nuked. I think he's hoping for like a Sodom and Gomorrah type thing. So he finds a nice place to like watch the city. This guy is not well. And instead, what does he see? Repentance. He sees God give grace. Maybe he hears the sound of rejoicing eventually. And he's exceedingly displeased. Why? Because he doesn't think they deserve the grace of God like he does. Right? I mean, it's funny because he's like, I knew you were like this. Well, yeah, your whole life story is this, you know? How much grace has Jonah gotten? And he's like, he has this sense of entitlement. And he thinks that other people don't deserve it like he does. He's not well. And I I just love how the Lord keeps extending grace to Jonah. It's so much easier at this point for the Lord to just get a new prophet. He can just get a new one. This one's broken. This one's super self-righteous. It's just like, just get a new one. God, like, why? But that's not how he rolls, right? Because God's love, like I said before, is covenantal. You know, you come to Christ, he unites you to Christ, and then he doesn't let you go. It's a commitment, right? It's like marriage. It's like an unbreakable bond that he has for you. He, he will not leave you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jonah's sin is not going to run God off, and neither is yours, amazingly. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I, I love how the Lord slowly draws him in with a question. He's like, Jonah, he was like, I knew you were like this. And he's like, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? That's a great question. And I wonder if he's asking you that question this morning. Do you do well to be angry? A lot of times we're like, oh yeah, I do well to be angry. 
You know, you can think of all the reasons why your anger is righteous, right? But you got to remember, like every other time you thought it was righteous, it wasn't, right? You're like, oh, that wasn't righteous either. You should really doubt it, right? Do you do right to be angry? And then, and then the Lord gives him this lesson with a plant. It's really great. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade for his head and to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You think like, careful, Jonah. <laughs> it's a trap. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah until he was faint. And then he asked that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord says to him, you pitied the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow. When it came up in the, in the night and perished in a night, should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons that don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? If you fast forward in the New Testament, Jonah is acting just like another person. Actually, this person was in a parable of Jesus's. Um, he's acting just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He's doing the exact same thing. Do you remember the parable? The younger brother, he squanders in his inheritance. He goes off in sinful living. Eventually, he hits rock bottom. He decides to return to his father. And he knows that he like, threw away his relationship with his dad through all this. And so all he wants is to be his dad's like, household slave. And then Jesus says this to the younger brother's surprise. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father does something totally bizarre. He's like super excited. He's home. He gives him a robe, one of his robes to wear, puts a ring on his finger. He orders the servants to slaughter a fattened calf and prepare a feast. And then his father calls the whole household to rejoice, to have a big party because the younger brother's back. He'd been lost and now he's found. But then there's an older brother, right? This is the Jonah character. In Luke 15, 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to his servants and asked, what were the meaning of these things? And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then the older brother, it says, he was angry and he refused to go in. Just like Jonah, right? Jonah and the older brother, both angry at the grace of God because prodigal sons and Ninevites don't deserve the grace of God like we do, Right? And what's cool is how the father and the prodigal son, he leaves the party. He doesn't just go, ah, he'll get over it. He leaves the party and he comes out and pursues his angry son, just like the Lord does with Jonah. Leaves the city, leaves the, the place of just rejoicing, and he comes out to, to pursue Jonah outside the city. In Luke uh, 15, 28, you hear the father entreating that older son and the prodigal, in the story of the prodigal son. His father came out and entreated him. And the older brother said to his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a, even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For your brother who is dead is alive. He who is lost is found. And that sounds just like the Lord dealing with Jonah outside that city. 
And the point of the parable is really that uh, the prodigal son is that there's really two ways to reject God and his grace. There's the younger brother path, like the Ninevites, open sin. That's one way to reject the grace of God, to reject God. But there's another way, which is the older brother way, which is the Jonah way, which is to reject the grace of God through hidden self-righteousness. Both are ways to reject God. The one's just real obvious. The Ninevites and the younger brother were like, that guy, you know, obviously running from the Lord. But what about that older brother that's always there and he's always doing all the right things? Or what about Jonah? He's like, I will fulfill my vow, you know kind of righteousness the way of the older brother is to think that you're the righteous one who's more entitled to God's grace than others when you're the older brother you refuse to extend grace to those who you don't think deserve it but guys the whole point of grace is that none of us deserve it right isn't that in the definition unmerited favor none of us deserve the grace of God none of us the parable ends the same way that Jonah ends so in Jonah it just ends with this question that God has to Jonah at the end of chapter 4. It's like, shouldn't I pity the city? And then it's gone. It's over. And you're like, oh, I wonder what happened to Jonah. The parable of the prodigal son ends the same way. The older brother just, it just drops off. It's just like, shouldn't we care? And it ends. And it's meant to be a question to us, right? It's meant to be a question to us. Are we like that? Are, do we refuse to extend grace to the undeserving, who we consider the undeserving? Are we pouting outside the party of God's grace? You have pouted before. I know for you men, it's not the most manly thing to say, but you have pouted outside the party. It's interesting how this works, guys. If we won't give grace and forgiveness to others, we're going to have an extremely hard time enjoying the grace God's given us, right? If we are going to refuse to give grace and forgiveness to others, we're going to have a really hard time enjoying the grace that God's given to us. The ones, only the ones who really enjoy God's grace can give grace to other people. Um, and, and guys, grace is the thing that will, that will just transform all of our relationships, right? You know, our relationships without grace are like Jonah sitting outside that city in his little hut, you know, burning in the sun, mad. But with grace, it's more like the party of the prodigal son. And so I just want to give you a couple things. What if you feel yourself stuck outside? I would imagine some of you do. What if you feel like you're stuck outside the party of God's grace like Jonah? Here's a few things you could do. First would be, consider how gracious God has been to you. This is something Jonah could have done, right? We need to see that our own self-righteousness, even if we're externally obeying God in the ways that Jonah was, our self-righteousness is a great sin as well. It's a very great sin. And the more of God's grace we know, the greater the sin of self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness basically says, I don't need Jesus. Because what's, what's Jesus going to give us? He's going to give us righteousness. We trust in him. We, we're in him. We have all of his righteousness before God. Self-righteousness says, you know, that's nice and everything, but I'm doing pretty good on my own. You know, I'm kind of, I, I used to need it, but I'm kind of carrying my own weight now. You know, pretty good person. A lot better than most. You know, a lot better than this scumbag over here. You know, that's the heart of the self-righteous person. And it's a great sin. And yet the Lord, guys, has been so gracious to us, even in our self-righteousness. I mean, you can see it in the story with Jonah. Think of the way the Lord has been so gracious to this guy through the whole thing, right? Graciously calling Jonah to be his kid, like he has for us. Graciously pursuing Jonah when he ran away, which he does for us too. Graciously saving him from drowning. Graciously blessing his ministry in Nineveh so he didn't get chopped into little pieces, you know, by those guys. Graciously meeting with him outside the city as he pouts 
and is miserable and mad at God's grace. God has been so gracious to us, guys. Hasn't he been so gracious to you? We just sit back and we just make a list of the journey and just think about like how often God has shown us grace when we were so stubborn. And that whole plant thing was really an opportunity for Jonah to see God's heart, his heart of grace and love for people. And that love is obviously most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater Jonah. And I'm just saying that. Jesus made this connection. In Matthew 12, he says this about himself. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus actually, when he goes to compare himself to one of the prophets, he picks the worst one, which is so cool. He's like, something better than Jonah is here. It's like, oh, that's good. Right? Jesus is the greater Jonah. Like Jonah, Jesus was called by the Father to save an idolatrous people. You know, Jonah, of course, refused. Jesus happily volunteered. Both Jonah and Jesus chose to be thrown into the sea of God's wrath. Jonah chose it because he'd rather die than give grace to others. Jesus chose it because he was willing to die to give grace to others, to give grace to us. And that's how grace works, by the way. Grace is God's undeserved favor, but it gets deserved by God and then given to us as a gift. On the cross, Jesus got all the punishment we deserve so that we can get all the blessings he deserved. It's a transfer. It's an exchange. It's a substitution. And that is a wonderful substitution. That, that grace Jesus got for us, he did through the cross. Jesus got what we deserved on the cross so that we could get what he deserves. He took the raging sea, right, of God's wrath so we could get the calm sea of God's love. The substitution is trading places. And I'll just say this morning, he would trade places with you too. If you haven't come to Christ, you haven't received him, and you're maybe coming to church and you're like, I know I need to get right with God. You know, people say that. What does that mean? I need to start doing religious things, you know? I need to get right with him. What you need is an exchange. <laughs> you need an exchange. You need to ask Jesus to make that exchange with you, to give you all of his righteousness and take all of your sin. And he's happy to do it. And then when he does that, what's really great about that is he not only does that, but you get united with Christ such that his life starts to, like, to, to come out through your heart. You, know, you get more of a Jesus heart because you're united to Jesus. Your Jonah heart shrivels, and a Jesus heart grows within you. And then Jesus didn't stay dead, right? And three days later, he rose from the dead alive and well. And Jesus said something about this, too. He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was predicting his own resurrection. His resurrection's how we know that it worked. You know? Jesus goes, he's thrown into the sea. We don't immediately see the whole thing calm. In fact, it all sometimes looks still stormy us in our lives the way we know that his death worked for us is his resurrection jesus was a perfectly righteous man also god perfectly righteous and he didn't deserve death so death spit him out and so we know it worked and he's calling us today guys he's calling us to repent of our sin to turn from our self-righteousness to receive his amazing grace and to give that grace to everyone else that's how we'll know when the grace of god has really hit our hearts is that we're willing to just dish it out to everyone around us. We're willing to give it to everyone. We're willing to like leave the hilltop, come down into Nineveh, and just be excited that everybody can have the grace of God, right? To join the party. And guys, I do think Jonah came around. You guys might be very concerned about Jonah. If we knew him, we'd be like texting each other. It's like, hey, have you seen Jonah? Because I don't think that guy's okay, you know? I think he's okay. And you know, you know the reason I think he's okay? Is because that's how we got this story, if he was willing to tell on himself like this, then, then the grace of God had its effect. He was like, you guys need to know about this. 
And we do. Let's pray. You are gracious and merciful and abounding in loving kindness and relent from judging us in Jesus. And uh, we just thank you so much for that. We thank you that um, though we deserve the storm and the sea of your wrath, we deserved it to go on forever for us, for us to be thrown into it, for us to have that terrible experience he had in Jonah too, forever. And yet, Father, you gave your own son. You gave your son for us. And Jesus, you gave yourself for us. Jesus, you said to your Father, throw me in that it may become calm for them. We're just so thankful, Jesus, that you would offer yourself, your body, to be pierced, to be nailed to that cross. to suffer in so many ways, and yet even more to endure the deeper suffering of whatever that experience is that you had of feeling the abandonment of God and the wrath of God upon you. When you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You did that for us. You did that instead of us. You did that in our place, and we're so thankful for that. And Spirit, we're so thankful that you opened our eyes to that truth, that you give the gift of repentance. And I just pray, Lord, that those who came in just maybe even wanting to repent and just felt like they couldn't, I pray, Lord, that you gave that gift today during this message and that you give it through the rest of our worship service, that they would know and feel their mind and their heart and their lives turn, that we would turn from all of our idols, all the things that are making us so angry, and so miserable that we turn from those and grab hold of Jesus. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that that's what you do. That's what you've done. We're so thankful for it. We just pray, Lord, that we would worship you with hearts full of gratitude and joy and that we would just be extremely free with our forgiveness of others and our families first and, and then radiating out to all of our other relationships. We'd just be so free to forgive. We'd be so free to give grace because it's been so freely given to us. And you continue to give it freely to us. Help us to re-gift that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.